So uh, Israel's problem from our last session, we saw from Romans chapter 10, verse 3, uh, ignorant of God's quality of righteousness. Um, and they shouldn't have been. Um, God had put it on display for them. He had uh, given the psalmist reason to praise it. Um, he had prophesied someone coming with the quality of righteousness. Uh, he had been um, faithful and true with every covenant that he had made with man um, from the beginning. So there's no reason for Israel to be ignorant of God's righteousness. And, but missing that fact, of missing that God's righteousness was different, they tried to fill that void with their own behavior. So they set about to establish their own righteousness and in essence lacked submission to the righteousness of God. Um, this, this was their problem. Uh, these efforts were never going to get God's attention. Uh, Paul told us um, that Abraham, and this was in our soteriology section in Kevin's paper, had righteousness imputed to him when he had faith in the words of God. And so he quoted uh, David's psalm about the blessedness of man who was declared righteous. So we see the Old Testament passage and the New Testament passage right here together. David said, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit is no guile. And so Paul then says, Even as David also described the blessedness of a man unto which God imputeth righteousness without works. This is the righteousness that God approves of. This is the quality of righteousness that, that appeases him. This is the propitiation that has been mentioned a few times. His sense of justice, his sense of rightness has been satisfied because of the righteous acts of the Son. Um, so, God's quality of life, again, is different from that of man's. God's attributes, because it's a part of his nature. Okay? So, this is that question, again, that, that they missed. What can make a man righteous in God's eyes? Well, let's take a look at at the doctrine of justification. We have this Latin term, quorum deo, basically being in the presence of God. How can man survive in the presence of God? Well, in order to be righteous in the presence of God, all a man has to do is receive the imputed obedience of Jesus Christ. And this is where Chris was finishing up, right? Uh, we can receive the imputed obedience of another, and then beyond that, which is where we're going in this paper... Um, this second section, I can actually perform, there's a way that I can put on God's righteousness and then perform the righteousness of God. I can practice it. And uh, John talks about that in his epistle. But this is the first step. In order for me to get to that point, I need to first just receive, just believe, direct faith in the facts of the gospel, and I receive Jesus' obedience on my account. The Father reckons that to me have done. That's the way Paul said it. Paul said it was Jesus on the cross, and this is, this is from a chapter that's been talked about, Romans chapter 6. It was Jesus on the cross. Was Steve. I should see Steve on the cross. Buried with him by baptism into death. Jesus went into the grave. I should have faith and see that situation the way the Father sees it. Steve was buried in the grave. Risen with him 
in newness of life, ascended with Him, accepted in the Beloved, seated in the heavenlies. Go through Ephesians, the first three chapters. You'll see all the phrases that Paul uses to describe the believer's position in Christ. When I see that by faith, I'm able to live a certain way. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is I believe the facts of the gospel that righteousness is imputed into my account. This is called justification. Okay? But the problem is I become a Galatianite, right? I get, I'm justified, I'm saved, but I begin to get frustrated. Right? Um, I, I begin to get frustrated. I, what possesses a believer to believe that now that he's a Christian somehow he has what it takes to please God in and of himself. And this is that hybrid of law and grace that Kevin was describing to us. A lot of us were raised in that church. This is, this is what uh, Dennis, Pastor Dennis was describing um, from good to grace in his, in his message. Somehow we think that I've been saved, I got, got that salvation, now I got this Christian battery pack, Right? And now I can go around and do all the good stuff. And I, you know, I can just do the good things that I want to do. Right? Because I, now I've, I've, I've been empowered by God. And they see that a little bit incorrectly. Um, the book of Galatians was written to this book of believers, right? Seeking to impress others with their own righteousness. Um, Paul calls them foolish. He calls them bewitched. He, he's pretty hard on them. Um, he tells them, are you seeking to bring to completion that which was um, made, uh, started by faith and performed by the Spirit? Somehow you are going to be able to um, bring that to completion in the flesh? And somehow in your own strength? Galatians chapter 3. Okay, how about, um, I was just having this conversation um, with this nice young lady up front, you ever seen a perfectionist? Are you a perfectionist? Are, are you so frustrated um, when something little goes wrong and, and it's not exactly the way that you want it? Um, or perhaps uh, you become impatient with God's timing. You've been frustrated, right? You, things aren't progressing as fast as you'd like them to progress in your own life or maybe in the life of somebody else. And so you become a people fixer, uh, trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so you're not content with accessing the provisions of grace through faith, and you're trying to find another way to get God's approval. You're trying to earn God's favor um, when He can't esteem you any higher than He already has because of what the Son did at Calvary. And because you've been placed in the body, you cannot have a higher standing with God than you already have. We've, we've heard it described several ways. You've been made nigh, been made near to God. Just need to reach out and touch Him. You've been placed at the right hand. And so have the faith to see yourself the way that God sees you. Okay, so what happens when I... Um, um, we're going to back up. We're not going to do that one quite yet. So I'm going to back up. As I 
go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, because I described a couple of these. I did not include the passage here, because these are familiar enough, I think, that um, I didn't need to put them out in front of you. But we have this renewed mind in Romans 12, 2, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, don't be conformed to the age, but be transformed. That's the um, schemazo that uh, Kevin talked about, the metaschemazo. Um, this, how Satan transforms into an angel of light. He changes his outward appearance. It's the same root word here in conformed. Don't conform yourself to, to, to the standard of the legal age. That's basically placing yourself under a quality of law. It's just saying it a different way. Stop being... Stop, stop putting on the Christian uniform and strutting it in front of other people. But be transformed by the renewedness that is in your mind. You have a mind that's a big jumbled mess, but in the corner of it is a regenerated part in your spirit. You have, you have the reasonings of your mind. Courtney did a paper last year, a couple years ago, on, on all those mind words, the the dia logizomai, the reasonings of the mind. You have what Paul called the vanity of your mind. Um, you have your imaginations. You have your, um, your memories. You have your personality. All that's jumbled up in there. But we need to frame our mind, corral it, and focus it in on the renewedness that's in our mind. It's the mind of Christ. It's exactly. Paul says it in... Let this mind be in you. Be thus minded. Uh, don't think of yourself highly than you ought to think, but think of yourself this way. It's what Paul says over and over and over. Corral your thoughts into that regenerated mind. See yourself the way the Father sees you. Impute what God has imputed. It's been said to you multiple times today. When I do this, something happens. Let's go to Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. When I have this opinion, this, when I view the glory of the Lord, verse 18, but we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed. This is not schemazo. This is not an outward conformity. This is metamorphosis. This is the transformation. I am changed into the same image. As I behold God's opinion of the situation, the Spirit turns me into that and makes that reality in my life. How does He do that? We've already talked about it in Galatians. He produces fruit. He enables me to love one another. And when I direct love, other people can see that I'm a follower of Christ. But what am I doing? What am I actually directing outward? Not Steve's love, but the new commandment, going back to where we started this party, love as I have loved you. Love one another with the love that I've loved you with. My love, my joy, my peace. You have God's character in you. Another name for it has been said several times. It's the eternal life. It's God's quality of life. 
That's what's sitting there in the regenerated spirit of the believer. And so I have access to it by faith. As I see myself the way the Father sees me, and I live in that reality, here's what it looks like. The Spirit does what? He changes me into the same image from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit does the work. Remember, God's not impressed with me putting on a cloak of righteousness unless I'm putting on Christ. He's not not impressed with me mimicking God's actions. He's impressed. He delights in His own attributes. When I order my life by the Spirit and I yield to the Spirit, I'm then empowered by the indwelt Christ and His quality of life. I perform my sacrifices of the believer priest and the Son offers them on the heavenly altar and they're a sweet-smelling savor to the Father. That's God working in concert and Him allowing Steve to come along for the ride. This is what we described to you in the opening. However, when I don't abide in my position, when I don't see myself the way the Father sees me, I'm not attached to the vine, right? Right. What happens? I'm not going to be fruitful. And Paul was scared to death of this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, I'm... This I am intentional about in my Christian life. I'm I'm making sure that I don't become that guy. He says, we run to receive the prize. Run it this way. Every man striveth. And so he's temperate. And so he says in verse 26, I therefore run. Not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be considered unqualified for service. I myself would be a castaway. Paul wanted to make sure he was usable. And so, what was his pursuit? We've already heard his life verse. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Philippians 3, 9 and 10, that I may know him. I want an experiential knowledge of who God is. And he told the Corinthians how to get there by beholding that image, by beholding God's glory, by being fixated on God's opinion of himself. So this is the modern believer's issues. But what happens? We get what? We get attacked by anxiety, right? Um, I, I think I'm missing some slides here. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump ahead and we'll go back if the slides come back. Let's go to the bottom of, of page um, bottom of page two there. We're going to come back to that section on the breastplate of righteousness in a minute. I think there's some slides that are out of order, but that's okay. We'll see what happens. What happens? The, the believer's enemies start to attack, right? Um, we've already talked about spiritual attack of pride, right? When I think I can do it on my own. What about an anxiety? Sometimes people become micromanagers um, and perfectionists because there's a, an anxiety that things just aren't the way they need to be. And so how do they deal with that anxiety? So I'm going to describe a situation. Um, you're having guests that are going to come over to your house. And maybe your house 
is in, inhabited by little animals. We call them children, right? And so um, your house has uh, an appearance of being lived in, right? But yet we've got visitors coming. And so this house needs to go from its present state to a state magically called company clean, right? My parents would say, is your room clean? I would say, yes. And they would come back with, is it company clean? And I would say, I'll go back and get it company clean because that's a different level, right? And that different level of company clean is because the master of the home not me. The master of the home, my wife, has a level of anxiety when her mother or my dad or the, somebody from church is coming to visit us. And that anxiety turns into controlling behavior, psychotic behavior sometimes. I'm sorry, babe, if you're listening, but you know it's true. So, um, so um, the rest of the house is in turmoil until... My wife's level of anxiety is dealt with properly. So you're laughing because you probably have experienced this to some level on your own, right? And so you got to get that house company clean. And that's why sometimes the tension level of the home before visitors come just rises. It just happens. So this anxiety is a spiritual attack. And what did Paul say, right? Paul said, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. How did Paul say to deal with anxiety? One of these anxiety lusts. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us, Be careful or be anxious for nothing. Okay, But in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with with you. Let's analyze progressively what's going on here. Okay, We have the attack of anxiety. So I know you probably can't read it, but that dot says communicate. Okay, That dot says communicate. Next, I'm supposed to think. Okay? Then I'm supposed to remember, and then I'm supposed to do. Okay? Let's think about the order in which we usually do things. Again, I want to impress somebody else. I start at the end. It's it's about my actions. It's about my behavior, right? I try to scrounge up some good works. Paul says, this is how we deal with anxiety. Number one, we communicate, right? We begin with worship, okay? Back to chapter uh, 4, verse 6. But in everything by prayer, we begin with that word prosukamai, which is worship. Worship does what? It leans back into God the full weight of who He is by repeating back to Him those things that He has said about Himself. So my focus has to be where? It has to be on the Godhead. Not on myself, not on my circumstances, not on my situation. I must worship. When anxiety comes, worship. Next, supplicate. What's this? This is a communication with God where I acknowledge 
my lack of ability to solve this situation and God's ability to solve this situation. Supplication is a, God, please help. And there's usually many unknown factors with supplication. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know. There's something, something's wrong here. God, you can fix it. I can't. I'm, I am placing myself at your disposal. And however you choose to work it out, I submit to that. That's what true supplication is. There's a submission involved in supplication. It's not a fix it the way I want you to fix it. That's not true supplication. It's a I, I am at your feet. I recognize your ability, your wisdom. You're familiar with your creation. You know how this needs to work out. With thanksgiving, what does this do? It focus you, focuses you on God's words, God's works, and God's character. And you put a display of gratitude for those things. So you begin to recount God's deliverance in times past. Remember when God got you out of the situation before? Remember how he took care of this? Remember, 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 focusing on thanksgiving? Make request. Let your request be made known to God. Now get specific. And this request is, is a request. If we go back to the upper room, we'll see that it was a new way of asking. This request is made in the character of the Son. This is a request that's made in Jesus' name. And the answer is always yes. Because what's happened with my communication, what's happened through this progression right here, is my eyes are fixed on God. And I've become spiritual. I'm no longer carnal. I'm no longer fearful. Because my eyes are now fixed on the one who can take care of it. Next step. God promises peace, right? The peace which passes. But what hasn't happened yet? I still have not done anything. I still have not begun a course of action. Because, number one, I communicate. Number two, there's some things I need to think about. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, I begin to go through this category of, these are some things I need to be thinking of. I don't let your mind slip back to all the bad things that could possibly happen. Don't let the reasonings of your mind or your imaginations begin to take over again. You've just fixated on Christ through your worship, through your thanksgiving. You've just recognized that He's the one who can help you. Don't let your mind slide back into the cesspool. Think on these things. Okay? And then he says, those things which ye have both learned, received, heard, and seen in me, finally do. Be intentional about your behavior and your actions at that point. So this progression right here is the cure for anxiety. This is the cure for anxiety. But we get things out of order many times. Do we follow this progression? This is so laid out. It's so simple. Worship, supplicate, thanksgiving, request. Paul directs this. Okay? Um, Let's see here. Let's go back to... uh, Yeah, I think my slides are all messed up. So, well, let me see. Where is that part? Yeah, so I missed a slide. So we're going to back up. 
Let's talk about this breastplate of righteousness real quick. Uh, let's go back to page two. Um, so, um, when, when coaching the believer on how to fight spiritual warfare back in Ephesians chapter six, um, I've got the verses out here in front of you. Um, Paul points the believer to the breastplate of, of righteousness and the shield of faith. We see here um, his cure for spiritual attack um, is, is this, um, the armor of God. He says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Um, put on the whole armor of God, verse 11. Um, he points out that our warfare is not uh, physical, it's not carnal, um, but it's um, through, it's, it's against the, the spirit beings, principalities, powers, uh, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. This is, this is where it exists. It's in, it's a, it's a, in the spiritual realm. Um, and so he says, in order to fight this, we need to fight it in a spiritual way. So take the panoply of God, verse 13. Take this whole armor um, so that you can um, stand against the evil one. Um, and he starts with um, the belt of truth. Um, Again, I, I need to see things the way the Father sees things, not through the devil's twisted kaleidoscope of reality or the way my sin nature is trying to take control of me, um, to try to sabotage my relationships, um, the way the, the sin nature is warring against my soul. So this belt of truth helps me to see things from a heavenly perspective. Um, and then I have here the breastplate of righteousness. This is, this is a tool to do what? Get your eyes off of self. I've had this preached to me. Don't tell lies and go do good things. The armor of God. God wants you to have the belt of truth. Don't tell lies. That's not what that is. No, the belt of truth is, is again, we had it described in a wonderful way from Chris today. God is true. He sees things how they actually are. And the devil as we heard, throws that 99% of truth in there and that 1% to try to distract you, to try to knock you off of so that you come to the wrong conclusion. Um, and so the belt of truth does that the right way. And the breastplate of righteousness, as we've said, whose righteousness is it? This is the righteousness of Christ. So I am safe and secure. It, doesn't it take the pressure off you? To realize that the work's already been done. Christ has already accomplished the victory. You don't, you don't have to struggle to earn any more of God's favor. He can't love you any more than He already does. You don't have to fight for that. You don't have to earn it. It takes the burden off you. You simply have to seek the Master's will and through His power, do it. It, it simplifies your Christian life. It, it makes it about Him, His righteousness. Um, uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, this good news that God wants you to be, um, to be ready to live at, at peace that he's provided. Um, we've already talked about how that peace is provided. It's, it's right up here. Um, going through this process uh, gets us, the God of peace shall be with you. That's a, that's a good news that we have here in the armor. That's part of this um, panoply of God. Above all, uh, taking the shield of faith so I can quench those fiery darts of the wicked. We talked about faith, and we've said five or six different phrases. Um, see yourself the way the Father sees you. Impute what God has imputed. 
Um, that, that's the faith that we need to have. Because when I look at my life, when I look at the reality of who I am, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I just simply need to roll over and trust what God says is true. I feel less than. I feel weak. I don't feel able up to the task of what God says I can do. But he says in me, we got this. It's done. You're a victor. You're a conqueror in Christ. That's where your value is. But Satan wants you to look at your failures. What did Paul say? Forgetting those things which are behind. My past failures as well as my past successes. And I'm reaching forth unto the things that come before. He just said what it was. This excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I want to know God more. I'm going to forget about who I am. I want to see who I am in Christ. I want to behold His glory. And so we finish this with a prayer of worship. We have a connection with the passage that we just read in in Philippians chapter 4. Praying always. um, Right here, um, we have the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. I don't want to minimize those. Um, uh, the Word of God, Helmet of Salvation, I, that's the full benefits package, basically, of, of, of my present tense as well as my future tense salvation. I understand the benefits of, of what God, and there's a protection in that. Um, this, this is, the armor is a series of mental processes, patterns of thought, when I'm attacked by Satan, with the with attack of anxiety or attack of a lie. So we see a, there's a similar progression in the armor as what we saw in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. There's a, simple progress, a similar progression in that thought pattern. I don't know if you've ever had the armor explained to you in this way, but it's, all the armor is is a way to get, yourself, get your eyes off of self onto God, onto what He's done and what He's provided for you. Um, so he, I think Paul's using different language to describe the same process. Um, and then it ends here at verse 18, um, praying always. This is a prayer of worship and supplication um, and supplicating for the saints. Um, he, in, uh, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul uses similar language um, to describe this pattern um, of thought. He says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Um, this is, uh, it's, it's a continual comfort of abiding in this position of faith. It's continual action. I've already, I've already placed faith in the crosswork of Christ to achieve salvation. That's my justification. But this is a daily faith. It's a daily realization of what I look like in the eyes of God that I need to, to continually do. And so I I highlighted this. Faith activates the provisions of grace in the life of the believer. And I think we saw this in Chris's message. This is where we were. This is where we were getting when he ran out of time. Um, And and we're going to pick it up at that point. We're going to jump from here into into my actions, my behavior, that I can actually live out godliness. Um, That's possible. But faith activates the provisions of grace in the life of the believer. Let's go back, uh, flip back to the front of uh, session one and take a look at that verse again, Romans 5, 20 and 21. But where sin abounded, 
grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so grace through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. How does, how does that eternal life get applied? Through faith. How do I access it and begin to direct it towards others? That's through the resurrection life. Me seeing myself in Christ. That's, that's the faith in my daily walk. I see myself in Christ and it activates Christ in me. That's the connection between resurrection life and eternal life. That's my daily walk of faith. That's why he said, walk by faith, not by sight. If I'm walking by sight, I'm just kind of doing the best I can to react and, and to do the good things I know to do. But if I'm walking by faith, I'm seeing myself in the body, it, that's, it activates my eternal life. And the Spirit says, I can work with this. This is not Steve getting glory. This is me now be, being able to put Jesus on display. And so he starts producing fruit. And I just need to learn how to direct that fruit the right aspect of the fruit. Maybe it's meekness. Maybe I'm getting badgered. And so I need to make sure the most important thing is the most important thing. So I have this quality of, of this uh, felt-covered brick. And so my quality is meekness. And I'm standing firm. And I'm just letting all those insults slide by. And I'm continuing to make the most important thing the most important thing. Maybe it's kindness. Maybe I'm telling the truth to somebody and I need to make sure I'm not doing it in a critical and harsh way. And that's me loving them through kindness. Okay? Maybe it's um, through a, um, again, self-directed fruit. Maybe it's uh, joy or peace through trial times. And I, like Christ did, on the cross, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Maybe I need to do a little forward thinking on my future tent salvation. And I need to, to see um, about this room in God's house that's being prepared for me. And I need to, to know that the battle's already being won and that he's coming back for me. And so that gives me the ability to endure what I'm enduring right now. But who's producing that fruit? The Spirit is producing that fruit. I'm just learning how to direct it where it needs to be directed in the right way. Because it's the character of Christ. It's His love. It's His joy. It's His peace. It's His, it's the, His quality of life that we've described. So he describes this again in the Thessalonians passage. Um, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of faith. These are Paul's efforts to help the believer understand that in order to experience victory over the enemies, our mind needs to be focused on God and His attributes instead of ourselves and our problems. So I'm, trying, I'm really trying to get practical on what thoughts should go through your mind when you begin to encounter the problems that you encounter every day. And this is how to take this scripture and to make it practical and make it real. All right, so we covered the communicate, think, and do. Um, let's, let's jump to uh, page three here. So I, I, don't, I don't want you to have the impression that God is indifferent to your actions, Right? That, that he, it's not like he doesn't care if you sin. It's not, it's not as if he doesn't care if you're doing right things. It just does not change God's opinion of you when you do those things. That's what's important to understand. That God is not 
angry with you and, and frustrated with you when you sin. And God's not impressed when you do good things. My actions, out apart from the Spirit of God, don't surprise Him at all. He's familiar with who I am. I have guys that come to me and that are struggling with uh, pornography, with addictions, and I try to help them with that. And I say, how was your week? Um, and sometimes they come really proud. I've had a great week. Overcame this, you know, didn't do this, didn't do this. And then another week they'll come back and say, just, you know, I had a, I had a really rough time. I don't want to talk about it. And I'll say, I, I just need you to understand something. God was not impressed with your striving. And God was not devastated with your failure. We need to understand that. God is familiar with us. I need to put myself... I need to, that's not the conversation I should be having in my mind. God is blessing me. He's gracing me. Okay, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Actually, you don't have to go. I put, them, I put it right there in your notes. God is saying good things about you. Okay? That's Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Okay? He's eulogizing you. Okay? That's, that's what that... Um, it's eulogizo. Not because... You struggled and you won a battle on your own. God's not saying that about you. He's saying good things about you based upon the imputed obedience of Jesus Christ. Because He sees you in the Son. He calls you a saint, right? That means holy. We're blameless. We're set apart. Again, read the first three chapters of Ephesians. Every time you see the word in Him or in Christ, or in the Beloved, that's a benefit that we have because of the behavior of another that you're getting credit for. We get to be up on this ladder because of the on behalf, the who pair <laughs> that Chris kept talking. You see how our, uh, this, they're folding together. Be- on behalf of, because of what Christ did, that's, that's reckoned to our account. Okay? Um, I can, though, let's go to 1 John. And this is where I, I want to finish. And we've got, we got plenty of time here, so let's, let's slow down. i got 1 John. Um, let's go to chapter 1. John uses a lot of language in his epistles, like he just walked out of the upper room. Um, but he wrote these letters decades afterwards. And, but... The Holy Spirit is doing what Jesus predicted he would do. He's bringing to remembrance all of the things, all of the words of Christ in the upper room. And you're reading through the New Testament. If you're blessed by something, you can trace it back to the upper room. Jesus said it all. He said it all in those four or five chapters. Um, And then over the next 30 to 40 years, the Holy Spirit expounded on that revelation through Paul, through James, through John, through Jude. And he took what was said there and he 
oftentimes Jesus would say, um, this is going to happen. And then Paul tells you how, in several different books, how that's going to happen. And we've already really um, given examples of that already today. But John here, he leans into this idea of, of abiding. Uh, he uses the word, the Greek word for abide, continue, dwell, remain, when he said in, in uh, John chapter 15, abide in me, I'm the vine, ye are the branches, John 15 too. He uses that phrase 22 times, that word 22 times in just these three short letters. Okay? Um, and he begins to use this phrase in the light. Walking in the light. Okay? Let's do some reading here. Um, start in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. This is a neat way to start this letter. He's like, he's like I got a chance to see firsthand eternal life. I got to see that quality of life firsthand. And he says, verse 2, For the life was manifested, we've seen it. Bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Um, He wants your joy to be full, verse 4. This is the reason. I want you to have a complete joy, a full joy, an abundant joy. Essentially, he's talking about God's joy, Jesus' joy. Um, But let's pick it up in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, okay, this this idea for walk, um, this is our uh, peripeteo. This is to order your life in such a way to put yourself at the disposal, um, basically, of the light. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Let's see how he says it in in chapter 2. Chapter 2, we've talked about uh, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the propitiation, verse 2. We know him, we keep his commandments, we've read through all these. But what do we see in verse 6? He that saith, he abideth in him. Now again, what's that idea of, of abiding in him? Chris said it. To dwell, to be settled, right? So to be comfortable and to be at ease with something. Um, <laughs> you ever been in a situation where you don't feel at ease? You feel awkward, right? And then somebody says something and it kind of breaks the ice. And you're kind of like, oh, this one's so bad. This is good. I feel, I feel at ease. I feel comfortable. It takes faith to be able to abide in Him. You have to be comfortable in your position. You have to see something that's not there, that's not, that's not in front of you. It's not visible. It's true because God said it's true. Okay? Um, and He says, I should walk as He walked. So, how did Jesus walk? How did He order His life? So, this is a great study. Um, when you go to Pastor Kevin's Christology class and you begin to see that Jesus moved between the realms of his natures, the hypostatic union of the two natures of Christ, you see that he was God, but he was man, but he lived as man 
And he only went into the realm of his deity when he was given authority to do so by the Father. He did not cut corners. So he's not like that kid who was doing his chores, was sweeping up, and then, okay, nobody's looking, you know, do a, one of those or whatever and clean up the floor real quick. He didn't cheat, okay? He didn't use his deity to take shortcuts, okay? In fact, what we hear in Corinthians, what we hear in Hebrews is that he suffered as we suffered so that he could, he could be our high priest, um, he, he, didn't, he didn't cheat. He didn't cut corners. Okay? How did he live his life? He ordered his life through the power of the Spirit. You can see it throughout the Gospels. Okay? Why? Because he wanted us to see how to live our lives in the power of the Spirit. So he, he only utilized his, his authority and his power when the Father granted him permission to do so. And that's what Satan was trying to get him to cross when he tempted him. And he said, take these stones, make them bread. You're hungry. You haven't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus said, doesn't work that way. I'm not going to do that. Man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Throw yourself down. Let the angels catch you. And, you know, then he offers him something. He offers him the ultimate shortcut. I know in Revelation, you're going to get the keys to all the kingdoms. But look, look at them all right now in a moment of time. I'll give them to you right now. I will give you all of my authority. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus says, I'm not, don't tempt the Lord thy God. I'm not taking the shortcut. I'm going to live this life as we decided in obedience to the Father as we decided in the decree. I'm going to live the right way. Um, and so he, he doesn't take the, the shortcut. He, and so I am to walk even as he walked. I'm to order my life in the same way living in the power of the Spirit. And so when I do that, when I get my focus off of my position and onto my circumstances, what happens? Well, I'm in darkness, right? But I can walk in the light. We talked about Israel being in this darkness. In fact, they still have a satanic blindness. But when is that blindness going to be revealed? When they have a right opinion of who Jesus Christ was. They're going to get it. They're going to get it at the end of the tribulation period when they call out for deliverance and look upon him whom they have pierced. And he's going to come back and he's going to deliver them. They have that satanic blindness right now, but when they get a right opinion of God's righteousness and admit what they did to the Son, he'll come and he'll deliver them. But the believer today, guess what? You can simply order your life in the light because of the privileges that you've been given. Kevin was finishing up with that. You've been given something better. The book of Hebrews tells you. You can order your life in the light. Okay? Let's see what that means. So, um, I can live in the light or out from faith based upon my position in the body. Let's go to chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Let's pick it up. uh, Verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him. we We shouldn't need to review that phrase at this point, right? That's me being at ease or settled in my position by faith in the body of Christ. Sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither has known him. Okay? Um, 
Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. There's, there's a lot of positional truth in these verses. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. So, let's back up. The key to this phrase is the way he starts it off in verse 6. When you abide in your position in Christ, you're not going to sin. You, you, you can't sin at that point. Because who's in control? Who's in charge? The Spirit's driving. Paul says it a different way. This is John and Paul saying the same thing. What does Paul say? He that walks in the Spirit, is filled with the Spirit, will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Never. Not even once. So John says, you need to abide. When you're spiritual, you're not going to practice sin. Paul says, when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Instead, what will you be doing? Well, you will be practicing righteousness. Let's see... um, Again, verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as Jesus is righteous. How do I get here? This is where every believer needs to be. You've seen the pattern. You've seen the path. It's been explained to you multiple times today. Understand your position in Christ. Be comfortable in that position abide in it, and you can actually practice righteousness. So, we, we get the cart before the horse. Remember Paul's progression. How do I deal with anxiety? Well, I've got to do something. I've got to go work out. I've got to um, turn on some music. Uh, I've got to go on Facebook and tell everybody to pray for me. I've got I've to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. Okay? Um, No, you need to communicate. You need to think. You need to remember. And then you need to do. And that will deal with the anxiety. How do I practice righteousness? Well, I look at a list of how to be be a good Christian. And I do the ten things, right? On, you know, making yourself... What's the book Kevin, uh, Pastor, was talking about? That... um, Good Baptists, you know, read, right? How to, how to please God in 10 easy steps or whatever. Um, got an action, behavior. Got to do something. Got to make God like me. Okay? Or I got to be afraid that what I did made Jesus cry. Right? That's what Jennifer used to tell our kids. You just made Jesus cry. Okay? Um, again, let's go back to our understanding of how we're viewed by the Father. God is not impressed when I win my struggles and God is not devastated when I fail. He's familiar with His creation. I am able to do that which pleases God and practice righteousness when I abide in Him. And God is then pleased with His own attributes. And so it has to be about God. It has to be. It has to be. When Christ, so we see the flip side of this. 
that God is actually abiding in me. He's at ease and dwelling in me when I am abiding and at ease in Him. And when Jesus is dwelling in me, we just saw that. Um, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed, who's his seed? The Son remaineth. There's our word. That's our word for meno. That's to abide. That's to dwell. The seed is at ease and comfortable in me. So that's a reciprocal relationship. When I'm comfortable in my position and I direct faith, it activates the provisions of grace in my life. And so then God starts doing His thing. And it's evident. The Spirit produces fruit. The Son offers it on the heavenly altar. The Father is well pleased. All I got to do is rest. That's the rest that the author of Hebrews is talking about. Strive to enter into rest. Be diligent about entering into rest. Endeavor to enter into rest. And so, Jesus, uh, let's go back to, um, I think this is the one we just mentioned, Galatians 5.16. This is the um, comparison that we've already made. When I walk in the Spirit, I will not, never, not even once, this is the Greek double negative, fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, our conclusion Again, I think we've said it multiple times. Um, the way Kevin wanted you to dream about it, I've said it multiple times the same way. I want to pound it. I want you to dream about it. I want this to be something that's a part of your Christian vocabulary. Don't get so hung up on things that are inconsequential to God's opinion of you. Rest and rejoice in the standing that He has provided you. And when you do that, and that becomes your go-to, when that becomes your default setting, the Spirit will do His work. He'll draw you. He will conform you, transform you. He'll, he'll conform you to Christ, being made conformable unto His death. You just seek knowing Him more and becoming more thrilled with who He is and beholding Him and allow the Spirit to transform you from glory to glory to glory. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we love You. Thank You for who You are. Thank You for this study, Lord, and just how it makes things simple for us by taking this Scripture and putting it with this Scripture and putting it with this Scripture. Thank You for the hard work um, of the men who've gone uh, before me today um, and have just kind of paved the way for You to say what You need to say. Well, I pray that our believers will take it with them and will let it affect them, let it change them, Lord, so that the Spirit can just do His work in us. I pray that you bless the remaining speakers and the fellowship to be had tonight. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.